This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. Enjoy the show. There should be an excellent school in every community. I'm Scott Lewis. I'm Laura Cohn. Hi, Laura. Hi, Scott. So we got the call this week. The call. PTA wants us to get involved with the elections. Maybe maybe try to help lead. Ah, <laughs> you're being drafted. Yeah, I. Uh, so I draft. So we, we, we've had some big conversations at the Lewis household about what we can juggle, how soon I can get home from work, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but we're going to do our part help out uh good you know i signed up to help with the 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 boys uh uh, baseball league this year it's a lot more intense than t-ball now (laughs) and more practice time yeah more intense parents part-time job it's like a big deal it's yeah uh, the parents are fine and the coaches are fine the kids are great Mm -hmm. and i love it i love i don't know there's been no better feeling in to me than the little league field you know the only bad part is they don't let me play but <laughs> um but i i just love the whole feeling it's just it's it's not insignificant they're more competitive than we were at eight years old or whatever seven years old mm-hmm. it's a it's a much more regimented thing yeah like so they're my good that, too oh that's good yeah. you're winning some games oh no i mean the kids are good like we're probably among the not the best but uh <laughs> but it's it's just amazing the level of competitiveness and stuff already. It's just something else. Yeah. Um so my thing with PTA was to let the 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 parents who weren't working full time take care of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um and I think I think that what's happening this we have a lot of people in our own PTA that are like moving on or whatever. And so it's like there's a little leadership vacuum. Yeah, the problem with me is like in any leadership vacuum, I'm like, all right, <laughs> what do I need to do? And then I'm like, well, I have a big job. I have a lot of other things going on. So it's hard for me not to do that. And so I'm not, but um, we'll see what happens. So mm-hmm. I uh, I love what they're doing. They've, they've helped create a good community. So speaking of communities, so we have done a lot of reporting on the Lincoln Cluster. And I think that uh, the southeastern San Diego area of the city of San Diego and this uh, San Diego Unified School District is a, a one that has a lot of attention uh, right now about um, uh, all kinds of issues from the uh, issue of uh, public safety in the schools to academic performance to all kinds of things. Um, and uh, charters are big in the area, lots of different. Pretty much everything we talk about really is... Uh, concentrated in in these areas and so we have a special show today though Uh, we are going to talk to two different people doing we did two different things in the community 
We spoke with first Carly Van Holten and her mother, Tia Turner, and you're going to love that conversation. Um, how great was she? She is amazing. So <laughs> impressive. So she had a... She's going to rock the world. Yeah. I, I love meeting kids like that. She uh, was an Aaron Price fellow. She got into... Uh, she went to Lincoln and she's graduating this year and she got into dozens of very impressive schools and her and her mom are clearly very proud of that. And um, how they navigated the um, school choice decisions, the uh, early education decisions, and just how they managed their experience at Lincoln, I think is just an um, interesting discussion. And, you know, it's nice to, um, uh, it's it's just a nice story. Uh, she's a very impressive kid. Yeah, and her mom's um, passion and commitment, uh, you know, she was a super mom the way you're con- contemplating being yeah. for your kids. And she's, she's just really clear. She thinks that was necessary. Yeah. And then the, uh, we'll talk about our second guest. for a second. So our second guest is Gina Gianzero mm-hmm. and Gina runs the diamond education excellence partnership, which operates um, in Southeast San Diego, focusing on the early end of the education spectrum. So early childhood pre kindergarten and, and supporting um, providers of childcare in that zone and heading up into the early grade levels, working with sel- several elementary schools down there. So it brings together a lot of partners and um, it's it's a really terrific example of how to, how to mobilize around the schools in the Lincoln Cluster. Okay, we are joined in the Great Voice San Diego podcast studio by Carly Van Holten. She's a uh, graduating senior at Lincoln High School. Hi, Carly. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. And her Thank mother, you. Tia Turner, is here. Hello. How are you? Hi, Tia. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Okay. So um, somebody uh, referred this story to me and said uh, you had an interesting experience, and I agreed. Uh, so you are graduating from Lincoln High School, correct? Correct. And you um, got accepted to a few dozen prestigious universities is yes. what I hear. Um, I've been accepted into 34 colleges and universities. So that's a lot of applications. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, can you give me some some of the, the highlights of the ones you were most excited about? Um, I was most excited about getting into Howard University, Xavier University, Creighton, UCLA, UCSD, UC Berkeley, UC Irvine. Wow. San Diego State, um, Grambling University, just a lot of it was a kind lot of, of good a, UC schools there. Mm-hmm. I got into all my UCs. I applied to four, and it was just a a blessing and a great experience to be able to get into these schools and to give to be given the opportunity to apply to these schools because I know a lot of students aren't able to apply to these schools. They apply like four schools, and if they get in, they get in. So how are you going to decide? Um, I have decided, but it was it was an experience trying to decide because I well most people thought they knew exactly where I was gonna go and it's not but the school that I chose fit if it's well I'm not gonna let you out of here without pushing (laughs) you pretty hard on that can you tell us what you did um what you chose I can in a sense because I'm having a graduation (laughs) party with the college reveal so I can't necessarily tell you exactly but I can give you a just okay I'm not going too far from home okay um good sign for ucsd (laughs) i'm not going too far from home my school has great academics great sports um not to give myself away great food 
and is in a great city. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I um, I'm gonna leave leave it at that. <laughs> Sounds good for some of the Southern California schools, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, not UCSD. They don't have much sports. They're getting a little That's better, true. though. That's true. Hmm. Hmm. Detective work. Well, so one of the we've we've done a lot of of reporting journalism about Lincoln High School over the years, and obviously it's had a lot of uh, changes. I used to volunteer. Um, uh, there was for years of Voices of Lincoln um, online news source. I tried to help them build. Uh, uh, I think it's been abandoned with some of the journalism program that's been abandoned there. Um, and you know, the, the school was rebuilt in 2007 and, uh, has gone through a lot. So what was your experience there? And, um, and let's just let's finally hear some student voices on this would be great. Um, uh, my experience at Lincoln high school has been an experience to say the least. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an experience you wouldn't completely understand and wouldn't completely embody unless you were there. It's literally the quote you had to be there to understand but I feel like every every aspect and everything that I've experienced at Lincoln High School has shaped me to be the person that I am and I wouldn't trade it to go anywhere else because I was supposed to go to modern day because I received a basketball scholarship and at times I would question myself like why why would I go to Lincoln over modern day when there's so much at modern day that I can expose myself to and at times I felt like if I would have went to a different school like UC or Point Loma that I would have reached a higher cognitive capacity that I have. However, attending attending Lincoln High School has given me this community aspect that I would not have been able to achieve anywhere else. And at Lincoln, I just have, it, for lack of better words, a family. And I feel like at other schools, it would just be like, oh, you're in high school. Like, have fun being in high school, learn how to be a high school student. But I feel like at Lincoln, everybody, like, we went through everything together. Like, we are one, literally. And this whole... um like the experience of us fighting to get a new principal and everything, like everything about Lincoln screams community. So it's just being a Lincoln student, not only did I achieve at the top of my class, but I also learned how to be a community and how to be one with others rather than just being a high school student. Okay, so let's unpack some of that real quick. You said the community aspect, you brought that up a lot, um, that you wouldn't have had that had you gone out. What do you mean by the community aspect? I mean... um, Attending Lincoln High School is like every, well, most schools you go to, it's like, oh, there's the jocks, there's the cheerleaders, there's this and that. But at Lincoln, it's, everybody is together. It's not necessarily like we have, we have cliques and we have this and we have that. We have, honestly, we're all one big family. Everybody knows each other. Everybody speaks to each other. We say hi. It's not, it's not a typical high school experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you said you went through everything together, what are you thinking in your mind when you say that? Um, I mean, the the oppositions that we face against the media, the oppositions that we may face between each other, the oppositions that we face in the classroom, um, us fighting to receive a new principal. What just, was that like? Let's get into that. So there was a, a long search mm-hmm. for a principal uh, the current one was uh, put in as an interim and there was a big movement to just make him permanent and give mm-hmm. him that, that both that permanency and that confidence that comes with it. Uh, you're, you were part of that effort is what you're describing? Um, a part of experiencing it. Okay. What was that like? Um, I feel like attending Lincoln High School, we have, we learn, we learn a lot of civil liberties and like, 
things like that. So it taught us how to have a voice without voting, like how to express ourselves and express what we want to people higher than us rather than just saying, oh, well, that's the cards that I've been dealt. What did the students do to advocate around the principal selection? Um, we, well, we as a, as a body, there were, there were few walkouts, I believe. There was, honestly, I couldn't tell you much. I was in AP class, but <laughs> I know that the people that felt that they wanted Mr. Soto to be our principal fought for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they received that right. And they, it made the community and it made all of us realize like, just because you can't vote doesn't mean you don't have a voice. Yeah. Mm. Tia, I want to bring your voice into this. Um, uh, you, uh, obviously, congratulations. I have two young children, and if they grew up to be anything uh, like Carly, I'll be very proud. Um, so what, uh, you know, as you're going through the process of helping her decide where to go to school and things like that, what did you keep in mind, and how much say did you have? Well, actually, I'm a Hornet Okay. 80. 80- I'm a Hornet from 84, uh-huh. but like she said, I did not, I don't watch the news. I did not, because of the hearsay, and I'm a, I'm a homeowner in the community. Yeah. So I know what goes on. In Encanto or? I, I live in Southeast San Diego. Yeah. On Salola, I own a home, bought a home 24 years ago. Okay. So I took her to modern day, as she said, and the director walked out and he's like, we want her. He's like, I'll send you a letter, but we want her because there's not a lot of eighth graders that know what they want, especially females at this age. So I said, okay. She begged me, mom, can I please, please go to Lincoln? She's my oldest. And I'm thinking, I don't know, mom. So of course I go and I, it's summer. So I walk in and I ask Mr. Ross, John Ross. I know him very, we talk. I remember Principal Ross. Yeah. And Miss Watkins. Mm -hmm. I walk in there in the summer and I said, can I meet with you? And they said, of course. So I said, my daughter wants to go, my exact words, my daughter wants to go here. What does Lincoln have to offer her? And they explained to me what there was to at Lincoln. Aaron Price, she's an Aaron Price fellow. Mm. Amazing. I love Robert and Allison. Yeah. Um, so I let her go and she took off from there. Have I mean, you been in some of the sessions I was doing? Uh, uh, at the stadium one? We went to and, NBC? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Now that you say something, I remember. And then the um, the aircraft carrier, were you on that one? I, prob- I uh, probably yeah. was yeah. there. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. That's okay. Aaron she, Price Fellows, great program. Oh my God, I volunteer every year for him. Amazing people. Yeah. Um, The Rotary, she went to uh, Europe. She went to Prague. The Rotary paid for it. It was, everything was free. You know, I look at it as um, she's spiritually grounded. So she has her foundation. Um, so it's like, okay, this is what they have. Go do what you need to do. And she did it. So Carly, why were you so clear-headed about the school choice? We do a lot of um, talking about how how families choose schools. And it's um, so I'm really interested to hear why you were so sure that Lincoln was the right place for you. I would say that I believe and I believed that Lincoln was the right choice for me because it's like it was in my community. It was accessible. It was something that I wanted to be a part of legacy wise because my mom went to Lincoln. And it was it was honestly a legacy that I was born into. And it wasn't something that I wanted to just up and forget and up and leave. And 
like my mom says, she attended Lincoln High School. She's homecoming queen. I was homecoming queen. Uh-huh. It's just it's just a legacy. It's something that you just <laughs> you just do. Do you have aunts and uncles who went there as well? Yes, I do. Hmm. Cousins? Yep. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> um. Thanks. <laughs> um. So let me ask you. Um. One of the things that we've been researching is that there was a there was a school district administrator that came to the neighborhood and said uh, to some of the parents and activists there that a lot of the kids um, graduating out of uh, out of middle school were entering um, the high school at a second grade reading level, and there were sort of two reactions to that. One was, uh, "How dare you? That's offensive." But the other one is. If that's true, what are we doing about it? And why wasn't that a bigger deal? Um, what schools did she go to? Did you go to as a, as a uh, younger uh, student? And and what was it like? Um, for elementary school, I attended Benchley Weinberger Elementary mm-hmm. School, which is in Lake Murray area. It was like it was the foundation of my um, education. That's where I learned like the the importance of education, the importance of community acceptance, et cetera. And then I went to Millennial Tech Middle School, which was kind of like a culture shock, culture shock because I went from Lake Murray to my yeah. local um, middle school. But it was it showed me both sides of the spectrum, and it was an experience in itself as well. However, Millennial Tech it extremely prepared me for high school because I started taking high school math credits. I took my freshman year of math in seventh grade. My sophomore year of math in eighth grade, I took my freshman year of Spanish in eighth grade, and it was a school highly motivated to push and to push the kids in our communities to be engineers, to be scientists, to be math majors, to be something outside of oh, you live in Southeast San Diego. So it was a my middle school helped to further my education and to help further my passion and purpose. Mm. Did you go over to Lincoln for those high school classes or were they offered right? No, they were actually middle school classes. Like all the kids that were in my, we spread out into, well, it was kind of corny, but it was rainforest, ocean, and something else. But all the sixth graders were split, split up into those major groups and then split up again. And we all had the same classes. So we went through middle school together. So we all had the same classes and the... I wouldn't. I'm not exactly sure how to call it, but team. Oh, team rainforest. We took like the highest level classes on campus, and that's where we we basically took what high school explains it as as honors. We took honors middle school classes, so it already pushed us. So going out of elementary school into middle school, I'm already thinking like this is how it's supposed to be. Not mm-hmm. this is accelerated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that honestly was huge. Wow. So it's Teacher Appreciation Week this week. Could you tell us about two or three teachers who have really made a difference for you, that who helped you think differently, who helped you see your own abilities differently, someone who really made a difference? Um, going, starting, starting from my youngest age, I would say my, well, I have a few teachers, but my first teacher would be Miss Harvey. I had her in third and I had her in fifth grade. And she was honestly a positive, like it was always, ha- I was always happy to go to school because I was like, oh, I get to go to Miss Harvey's class. And she had this special chair with arms on it and you get to sit and wrap yourself in the arms. It was just honestly third and fifth grade were like the best grades ever. And I felt that in those in third and fifth grade is when I grounded myself like, oh, I want to skip middle school. I want to go to high school, be a senior, and then go to college. Like, that's all I want to do. And I feel like that is exactly where 
my college readiness started. And then in fifth grade, oh, wait, I had her in first and third grade. And then in fifth grade, I had Miss Hasselbar, and she honestly emphasized math and science to me. And we played 24. I was, like, one of the best 24 players. You could give me four numbers. I could make it into 24 in 0.5 seconds. Like, she pushed me to be the mathematician that I am. And going into high school, middle school, all my teachers are great. My principal was the best principal, Mr. Um, Neil. That's my best friend now. But he's he's honestly the best principal that I've had because not only did he execute his principal duties, he executed as not like a teacher figure. Like he was always there. He He always was present. And it's one thing to be present with students and kids that are young because once you're present and you're consistent, you show a consistent face. And it's something that as a youth, you're like, oh, I can depend on them. They're always there. I always see them. Maybe not, oh, I'm smart enough to think, like, wow, I always see them. They're always there. But something subliminally is like, oh, I see them. They're there. I can trust them type thing. So Mr. Neal was huge to me. Going on into high school, I had Mr. Deer. And that is, like, the best teacher I've ever had. Like, not only was he relatable, not only was he – he just taught in a sense that was, like – he taught – I don't know if you know this phrase, it's stay woke. It's like that he embodied that in so many ways. And he was a teacher that was like, oh, I'm going to argue against you. I believe you, but I want you to show me that you know what you're talking about. What, what did he teach? Yeah. Yeah. English. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So Mr. Deer was huge. Okay. Um, so Tia, as in those early years, how did you um, navigate that? And if you were to tell a parent now who's trying to you know, get to this stage with their own, how would you tell them to, uh, to make those decisions? Um, or advise first thing I think as a I know as a parent is you have to go to school with your child you can't just drop your child off at the gate and say go to school even in high school I mean from elementary up to maybe her 11th grade year I have been that volunteer even right now I'm the volunteer for grad night I raised the money for them to go to grad night I'll be on the bus um Teachers, they're teachers, and not all of them are perfect. Not all of them are bad, but there are some bad teachers. But if you know your teacher, if they know your face, then they're going to do, um, I'm not going to say more, but they know, okay, if I don't do what I need to do with this student, then I'm going to hear from that parent. I know the principals, like I said, Mr. Ross, call him on the phone. Mr. Ross, this is going down at the school on his personal cell, and he already knew Willie Neal, Mr. Neal, I call him. This is what's going to happen. In her middle school year, I had this kid call her a bad word. We don't cuss in my house, household. household. So I called him. It was late. I'm like, Mr. Neal, I need to talk to you. What, Tia? Well, this such and such kid called my daughter this four-letter word. He's like, Tia, calm down. That's what boys do in middle school when they like girls. (laughs) So it was like you have every one of Carly's teachers know me. And I knew she was going to say Mr. Deer. When I first saw him, I, it kind of spooked me. But he's just the most lovable. And he got, he got Teacher of the Year one year for San Diego Unified. Mm. I think she even passed his AP test from his mm. class. But you have to go to school with your student. You cannot depend on the teachers to get what you need to do. It's a triangle. It has to work three ways. Yeah. Me personally, I don't think teachers get paid enough. I honestly don't believe they 
they impact lives, not one life, which is your child. They have lives to deal with. And not only do some kids come with issues to school, that kid may come with issues that you don't even know about. And that's maybe why the kid disrupts the class. Not saying it's okay, but that's what they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they when they put the kid out of class, then they're still, it's like a surrounding door. So even in high school, I, I went to school where the janitor was like, I'm going to make you a parking spot. I said, okay, mm-hmm. make me one because you're going to see me. Uh, I'll let you go soon, Carly, but I, I'm interested. Let's say you were made king of Lincoln High School. Mm-hmm. Or queen, what would you what would you do? What would you um, what does it need? Um, if I was to be made queen of Lincoln High School, which I already see myself, <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Um, I would definitely emphasize the students there taking control over their academics and actually taking it serious because I feel like as a student at Lincoln High School, being around being surrounded by other students at Lincoln High School. I feel like I am one of the few that actually care about their grades, actually care about going above and beyond, actually care about like, okay, so say if I take multiple AP classes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a 4.0. And they're like, okay, and? And I'm like, no, I should have a 4.5. Like, I feel like more students should have that drive to actually excel in their academics rather than just survive in their academics. So that's one thing I would fix at Lincoln High School. But what would you do as queen to motivate them? I'm the mom of two high schoolers. And so I, you know, how do you tap into that motivation? Um, as a queen, I would, um, <laughs> I would have more one, have some, ha- create a system to where there was more one-on-one time or maybe even group sessions with the students in order to say okay so what do you want to do with your life like what do you think that you're going to get out of being here at Lincoln High School because you're going to be here every day for the next four years so if you're here for the every day for the next four years and then the last two weeks of high school you have to leave because you don't have enough credits what was your point of being here for four years like what do you genuinely want out of your education and once they sit there and have that conversation and actually have their brains stimulated then they're like okay so like I do have to do this, and this is why I'm doing it, because I want to, not because somebody's telling me, oh, I have to graduate high school just because I have to graduate high school. Like, there's always a purpose in everything you do, and you should have a purpose and a passion in everything that you do. So I feel like if there was somebody, like, we have counselors, but I reach out to my counselor. Like, counselors have too much workload to reach out to somebody to make them care about themselves. That's right. So I feel like that's one thing that I would do. Well, we need um, more students on the podcast. I think this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank what are you going to study when you get into college? Um, psychology. Okay. Yes. And well. then I plan to go to graduate school to get a master's and a PhD in forensic psychology, MBA psychologist in juvenile hall. Okay. Well, um, one thing I do know about college is things can change. <laughs> um, and uh, and I ex- I'm excited to see. I uh, hope you stay in touch and let us know how things go. Thank you. I mean it when I say that. Whenever I see a kid like that, I guess she's not a kid anymore. Whenever I see somebody that has gone through the 18-year gauntlet that we <laughs> call this stuff and is that impressive, I just look at the parents with a with a huge newfound respect. You know, like as when I was a before I had kids, I, I you know, I would have never understood what it takes to get there and what a joy it must be 
to see your child succeed like that. Yeah. It, I mean, as the mom of a 17 yeah. year old headed off to college, it is, it is joyful and it's also a little scary too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can't wait to see how Carly does when she's out of her community and on her own and will blossom in different ways. What do you think about that? I've talked to a number of really high performing kids, students, and the ones that say they know exactly what they're going to do through college. What do you think about that? Like is I, I thought I did. Well, no, I didn't, but you know, is that, is that a good attitude to have starting college? Yeah, actually, it's interesting because my son doesn't know what yeah. he wants to do. If you ask him, he'll come up with some possibilities like um, sure. political science or history, but he really doesn't know at all. And the college, so I've watched the colleges respond to that. And they're, they welcome both types of, of students. They get both types of students and most of them welcome both kinds. The, one interesting thing, though, about the application process is that a bunch of the colleges require you to apply to a major. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, including many of the public ones in California. So for my son, he just he just didn't apply to those schools because he yeah. felt so uncertain about what he'd be doing next. I look at it two different ways. Like one, my wife was a chemical engineering major when we met. And like I had I like being in a sciences or engineering field had never even occurred to me. I was not bad at math and I could have pursued that. And I, I think that for her, it was just something she started. Like she had to know that she was going to go right. into that because you have to start the math right away and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I guess I wonder if 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 there needs to be a little bit more emphasis on like if you want that path, you better start right away. You better have a little bit more clear direction. Otherwise, like for me, it felt it like I just sort of slalomed into you know. If it weren't for the campus newspaper, I'd be a complete disaster. <laughs> But uh, so I don't know. I'm trying, it's just something that came up when I was thinking about it. I just I think in what what we have a responsibility to do as adults and as folks who run schools is to expose kids to lots of things that can ignite their passion and to as much as possible connect what they're learning in the classroom to stuff in the real world world so they understand what not what their major might be but what their life might be um, that would cause them to pick one path over another. That doesn't happen as much as it should. We've talked a lot about that, and we want want more of that. And so for some students, that's going to ignite something in them. They're going to start to clarify and pick a direction that they may shift off of later, or, right. they, or they might stick with it. But others, like my son, just nothing nothing's taken so far. Yeah. Hopefully something will. Did he will. pick a place? Yes, he's going to University of Denver. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. I'm a Colorado native, so. Oh, um, Okay pretty great place i've heard a lot they have great hockey team (laughs) great hockey great um lacrosse and great ski team also okay so speaking of exposing children to different things there's one group uh, we've come across that is trying to do just that and let's hear from them We are joined in the Great Voice San Diego podcast studio by Gina Gensero. She is the uh, executive director of the Diamond Educational Excellence Partnership. Welcome. Good to be here. So tell me a little bit about the Diamond Educational Excellence Partnership, otherwise known as DEEP. Right. I'm going to call it DEEP from now on to make it a little easier. Fair enough. 
Um, but uh, in a nutshell, we are a collaborative of about 50 partner organizations focused on improving educational outcomes for children attending public schools in Southeast San Diego. Okay. And our big focus right now is on making sure that every third grader can read proficiently before he or she enters fourth grade. Okay, I have a question about that, but let's keep going for a second. Sure. So, so it's kind of like a... Um, PTA on steroids or? Oh, no. Um, it's some people would call it collective impact. Okay. Um, but some people like me don't really want to define it that way because that's a term of art that may mean different things to different people. But basically, we are a group of organizations that have come together to attack a very complex problem that has roots both inside schools and outside schools. So we know that the only way we're going to make a change is if we bring many groups together across sectors and put in place a continuum of supports for families and children at the early end of that pipeline, making sure they get into kindergarten prepared for success and finish third grade reading proficiently. Okay, we talked about this earlier. We're basically talking about the schools that feed into Lincoln High School, right? Uh, so uh, define the area and the, and the focus you have. So when I say Southeast San Diego, that is a large area. Um, and I am referring specifically to an area that's called the Diamond Community. Mm -hmm. It's got It got its moniker from the Business Improvement District that is in the shape of a diamond. But most generally, it refers to a cluster of about 10 neighborhoods that surround the intersection of Market and Euclid Streets in Southeast San Diego. Okay. And within that cluster um, are most of the schools that feed into Lincoln High School. And we are focused primarily on four elementary schools, three of which feed into Millennium Tech Middle mm -hmm. or into a charter school, and one of which feeds into Knox Middle and then ultimately to Lincoln. Got it. So a couple of years ago, a San Diego Unified School District Administrator went and caused a bit of a ruckus among some of the parents and some of the activists in the area when she said that there's just too many children going into Lincoln High School with only a second grade reading level. And uh, it was a shocking point. And I think their point was, A, that's either really an awful thing to say about our kids, or B, if it's true, that's something we should all sort of have a managed freak out about, right? And so is is that part of uh, the kind of thing you're trying to address then? Well, let's put it this way. Researchers tend to point to third grade as a line of demarcation in the reading process between learning to read and reading to learn. And so when children don't master things like phonics and word recognition, it's really hard for them to then comprehend in disciplines like history and science later on. And when we look at the data from schools in Southeast San Diego, and there are a number of tools for measuring that, we generally see that about 70% of those kids are not finishing third grade reading proficiently. And that compared to kids in more affluent neighborhoods, I think is a pretty concerning thing. In more affluent neighborhoods, it's actually the inverse, where you have 70% or more reading proficiently by the end of third grade. So say, uh, let's get into that for real quick. So 
what does it mean to they might be able to read a sentence but but it's not good enough or not adequate right well they establish grade level standards sure. so there are certain things you are able should be able to demonstrate that you can do in order to be deemed proficient mm-hmm. now if you use a state standardized test uh, if you get a below proficient score you are deemed not at grade level got it got it but it is about reading, not just able to read the words off a page, but also to understand Absolutely. what you're reading. What do they call it? Yeah. Read with intent? Read with intent, read for meaning, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And That so- is, after all, why we read, right? To, to get information. And so when children are so busy sounding out every word, every letter, um, it's hard for them to really understand what they're reading. Sometimes I read a book and forget the whole page that I just read. <laughs> We're not talking about that, right? No. So. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and and third grade, what we do talk about that a lot, right? At, yeah. that, that, there's, that there's a sort of potential lifelong crippling thing that could happen if you're, if you don't solve that by third grade. Is that a fair description? Yeah. Crippling is, is harsh, but you're, you're set behind and it's really hard to catch up if you have that, um, that low level of reading at third grade because the curriculum shifts from, so fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth grade teachers tend not to be particularly well-prepared to teach children how to read. They're more um, oriented to the content that they're teaching. And so once, once you're behind like that, it requires that specialists are brought in to help you learn to read. Sometimes there aren't enough of those specialists. If there are specialists, sometimes they're taking you out of the content classes in order to help you um, do that catch up in literacy. So then you're missing out on important learning that you're supposed to be doing in science or social studies or math or whatever it else else it is. So um, that's what makes it so consequential and um, unfortunately hard to catch kids up. So what do you do? So DEEP has divides its work into three strategic priorities. And the first one is what we call ready for kinder. And that makes That's focused on making sure that children have enriching early learning experiences so that they enter kindergarten prepared for success, because this all doesn't suddenly happen at third grade. The second strategic area is reading by third grade, and that means mobilizing resources and supports around principals, teachers, parents, and families at our partner schools. And the third area is what we call beyond the classroom. And that refers to providing extended learning opportunities beyond the school day to reinforce and build upon what you've learned during the school day. So we think that all three of those things need to happen in order for kids to be successful by the end of third grade. But we do a number of specific things directly in schools, only with the very close cooperation and invitation of the principal. And some of the exciting work that we're doing in schools is with our institutions of higher education. So we work closely with San Diego State, College of Education, Department of Child and Family Development, and we're working closely with UCSD's California Reading and Literature Project. And both of them are working on teacher professional development and really helping teachers to be able to target quickly what a child is struggling with so that they can address it and move on. What you don't want is your child, Billy, is struggling with silent E, and the kid next to him doesn't know what sound K makes. 
And then all of a sudden, Billy and the other child are put in the low group when they have very different needs. And that doesn't really help Billy accelerate and get where he needs to to be, right? So we're trying to help teachers identify quickly and then do something about it and move that child so that he accelerates beyond the low group. What does that look like, like practically on the ground for some of these schools? Are you having meetings and... Well, DEEP doesn't do direct implementation in most instances. So we have our partners who go in. They will provide learning institutes for teachers. And then because a learning institute or a workshop isn't really sufficient to change practice, we follow that up with a lot of coaching of teacher teams when they get together to plan lessons, classroom observations. And it's all done by the experts We ask them to give us feedback on how teachers are doing. And, of course, we look at student outcomes to measure progress. But it's a long process because you're first changing knowledge, then you're changing attitudes, and ultimately you're changing behavior. Of the teachers? Of the teachers, right. And until you change teacher behavior, it's hard to have an impact on what's happening with children. There there will be no impact on what's happening with children until teachers change their behavior. Right. So let's talk about that. One of the problems that a lot of these schools uh, face sometimes is a lot of turnover. So it, it, are, you, are, are you just constantly on a, on a um, you know, treadmill and just trying to keep up? Or, or are there more long-term things you can implement? So we do struggle with issues that anyone working in this field would struggle with. And so there are, without a doubt, variables over which we do not have control. Um, there are, yes, instances in which we train teachers and then the districts has a big retirement plan and all the teachers move to different places. We lose some who go to other places. The new ones we train don't necessarily have the seniority to stay there the next time there's a post and bid. So we absolutely deal with those things. That's not a hypothetical. That happened. That happens. And we are, we are hoping it doesn't happen this year. Um, but that that's that is a reality. We think we've trained a core of teachers um, at some of our partner schools so that it's more systemic. It's there are enough teachers there that this is the way things are done. And if you have a really strong principal who's able to put processes in place, new teachers can quickly come into that. Um, so it doesn't take a whole lot of bringing people up to speed. But the one thing that we do, is that every single year when teachers are new to the early grade levels, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade, where we focus, we invest to train them in those original workshops that the teachers in those grades that have been there longer have gotten. So we're really all about consistency. And I do think that is one area where we have a bit of an advantage in that we can choose, if we can raise the resources, to concentrate and sustain our investments Mm. in a way that perhaps a school district that's dealing with a lot of budgetary issues or pressures for to deal with other areas can't. Mm. So Gina, you're an independent nonprofit deep is that is working really in an interdependency with the schools in the diamond community. How, 
how does that relationship with the schools go with the school district? Um, and what ideas do you have for other nonprofits that might be trying to work closely with schools like yours does? Well, fortunately, we do have um, the school board trustee for our area and the area superintendent. They both serve on our advisory board, and so they're part of a lot of discussion around what we're doing. But we only push on open doors with respect to the principals. We need to do things with schools, not things to schools. That's something the superintendent is very clear about, and we agree with her on that. Um, so when principals come to us and say, these are the pieces that we want to work on, we try to figure out how to make that work. But we're also wedded to a theory of action. And so we talk about what the research says we should be doing. And ultimately, we come to a decision about what's best for that school site. But there are instances where we've actually invested in a school, trained teachers in a school, had the leadership change and literally lost that school to our process. Hmm. How, where do the funds come from for this? So the funds primarily come from the philanthropic community. Mm -hmm. I am indebted to the Jacobs Family Foundation and the Parker Foundation for their consistent support of our role in bringing together these partners. You're actually at the Jacobs Center, right? Right. We, we're an independent nonprofit, but we actually rent offices in that building. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it enables us to be right there in the middle of the community where we're serving. We were incubated in the Jacobs Center, so we were at, at one point um, working within that organization through a fiscal sponsorship. When did it launch? So the entire effort really began, well, the very beginning, I'd say about 2010, when I first did research on the state of education in Southeast San Diego. And then we began pulling community leaders around the data to reflect on what, if anything, should we do about it. And from there, we really evolved into a group that felt we were committed to try to do something. So we emerged with a common understanding of the problem, um, which we say are leaks in this pipeline that run from cradle to college and career. And we focus on stopping those early leaks. What have you seen change since you started researching there? Well, I did the research, and then out of the research came this entire collaborative effort. So the research led to the understanding of the problem and some idea as to where we might go to address it. In terms of what I've seen... Um, Has it gotten worse? Well, what's gotten better is that we have 50 partner organizations now that are part of this effort. And when you ask, has it gotten worse, I would say in some ways it's gotten better. We track cohorts of students who have been in the schools that we serve. So we have a 2015 cohort of kids who were in first grade that year and a 2016 cohort of kids who were in first grade in 2016. We have another one this year. And we are seeing substantial improvement on the phonics foundational skills piece and fair improvement on the reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. So those are both good good things. We, we see more improvement at some schools than others, uh, but I do think we've seen a great 
desire to collaborate and an openness and a willingness to want to build relationships. We have a group of nonprofits that work with us around the early end of the pipeline and organizations like Words Alive come in. They give workshops on campus and family literacy. First five providers come in and give workshops to parents. Rady's Children's Hospital comes in. They do the same thing. We have 150 parents across four schools that have taken the 1,000 books before kindergarten challenge, and we've got close to 80% of them who are actually reading books. Several of them have reached the 1,000 this year. I think we're up to five or six. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're seeing exciting things like that. We also have a cohort of family child care providers that we have convened now seven times. And all of the partner organizations volunteer their time to provide training in, in how to bring STEM into your child care organization, how to teach reading through play. I mean, it, these are wonderful opportunities for the family child care providers in the community to do things differently with the children in their care and by differently things that will, we hope, prepare them for kindergarten. So we're seeing change in that respect. And we are seeing change in the implementation of these instructional practices in our partner schools. But change takes time. And I have to say that we always struggle to fund the work, to fund the actual programs. And in many cases, a program that initially targeted K-3 gets trimmed down to be targeting maybe just third grade. We still keep the work going, but we've had to change it every every year. So, Gina, we have you in here in May because uh, we wanted to zero in on summer programs and the work that DEEP does to help prevent summer slide. So can you share what summer slide is and then what DEEP does to help prevent it? Sure. So summer slide refers to basically a loss of learning that takes place during long school breaks. And what researchers have shown is that children in lower income communities tend to suffer more from summer slide and actually can fall between two and a half to three years behind their more affluent peers simply because of the summer opportunities they lack during elementary school. The camps and stuff. Right. The camps, the exposure to museums, the trips, all of the things that children like mine were doing during the summer. I always spent more money and more time in the summer trying to figure ways to keep my kids learning. And what we see in the communities that we're serving in Southeast San Diego is that many kids, because parents are working, are home with grandma or older sister, playing video games, watching TV. Um, eating junk food, having limited exercise. And so what we try to do is make sure that doesn't happen. Now, because we don't have infinite resources, we're very strategic in how we plan for summer. We use research out of the National Summer Learning Association to guide the design of our program, and we offer it to rising second and third graders. So those would be children who would be entering those grades in the fall at our partner schools. And it's it started out as a six-week program, and then it became a four-week program, and I'm hoping to get it back to a six-week program. 
We are now embedding it within the primetime summer program Mm -hmm. that is funded through the 21st century grants. And that enables us to leverage a lot of funds that are already being used to provide facilities and staff. But then we bring in a layer of literacy supports, field trips to outdoor science labs, uh, circus activities and dance linked to literacy. And the research shows that all these kinds of enrichment activities are pretty critical to making this uh, an experience for these children that will ultimately empower them. And an interesting fact about literacy is that the greater your background knowledge, the more extensive your world experiences, the more vocabulary you're exposed to, the greater context you have for anything you read. So when we're teaching kids about what the circus does or different kinds of dance modalities, it's it's building vocabulary and understanding that they may come across in things they read. Well, Gina Gensero, thank you so much for coming. It sounds like a uh, interesting project. If people want to learn more, uh, what should they do? So every summer we struggle to raise the funding to pay for the literacy teachers and all of the activities that we offer these children. And so I would hope that anybody who's interested in this, um, and let me just point out that these children in Southeast San Diego now have a 10-week summer. When the school district changed its calendar from a primarily year-round to many to traditional, all of the elementary schools in Southeast San Diego were faced a over 10-week summer, more than double what they used to have. So if you're interested in helping us provide these kids with these kind of opportunities, I encourage you to visit our website, www.deepsd, so D-E-E-P-S-D.org, and um, you can see what we do, and you will have an opportunity to support the work. Okay. Gina, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Gina. Thanks, Gina.